About one in 10 Americans have diabetes. Most of them are type 2, the kind that develops when cells become resistant to insulin. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just flip a switch so those cells become sensitive to insulin again? Well, that's pretty much what bears do, and it helps them get through a long hibernation. So, of course, researchers are looking at how bears do this and if we might apply it to treating diabetes in humans. Here to tell us more about this and other grizzly superpowers is Dr. Blair Perry. He's a postdoc studying genomics at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. Welcome to Science Friday. Thank you so much for having me. So nice to have you. Okay, so before we get into your research, I want to know why is bear hibernation so cool? Why do you want to study it? Yeah, so bear hibernation is actually a lot more complicated and interesting than a lot of people realize. Um, So, you know, a lot of children's books and pop culture make you think that bears are simply just going to sleep for the entire winter. But in reality, there's a lot of really interesting and extreme changes to their physiology and their metabolism that allow them to do that. Pretty much every cell, every tissue in the bear's body is changing how it processes nutrients to enable them to survive these long periods without access to food. Mm -hmm. And and one of those adaptations has to do with insulin, right? And bears can turn it on and off. Yeah. So when we um, look at adipose or fat tissue in hibernating bears, we see that it becomes resistant to insulin. Like you said earlier, this is typically in humans kind of an early sign of progression towards type 2 diabetes. But in bears, they become resistant to insulin every winter. And then in the spring, when they're returning to kind of their active normal bear activity level, they regain sensitivity to insulin. So we think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're relying on burning fat during the hibernation months. Um, So in the summer and especially in the fall, they essentially devote all their time and energy to gaining as much weight as possible, putting on as much pounds as they can so that they can burn that fat for energy and survive the winter. And typically insulin actually inhibits the ability for adipose tissue to burn that fat. So by turning off sensitivity to it, we think that it kind of boosts their ability to utilize all that fat they've gained to essentially power the body during hibernation. That really is very interesting. And you studied insulin resistance in the bears, trying to figure out how they do it. And did you find an answer? We think we're getting close. Um, So this study that we did recently was aiming to identify potential proteins or molecules in the blood of bears that may control their ability to become insulin resistant and to regain that sensitivity in the spring. So by stimulating cultures of bear adipose tissue cells or fat cells in the lab with serum from different seasons during the summer, during the winter when they're hibernating, and by comparing the differences in the proteins present in the blood serum between these different seasons, we were able to identify eight proteins that we think are actually really important for driving this because they are abundant at different levels in different times during the year. So these eight proteins that are driving this, are any of them found in humans? Yeah, in fact, all eight of these proteins are proteins that are known to be present in humans. And a subset of these, I think three specifically, are actually known in humans to be involved in the reception and processing and response to insulin. We think that, you know, perhaps bears are using these proteins in a slightly different way. Maybe they are having slightly different changes to the bear's um, cellular activity than what we see in humans. And so by identifying where that difference is in bears, essentially unlocking this unique adaptation in bears, 
um, we might be able to, for example, stimulate similar changes in cellular activity or synthesize similar proteins for humans that might be able to, for example, help to them to regain sensitivity to insulin if they're in this pre-diabetic insulin-resistant state. And so how similar are humans to bears if we're trying to compare stuff like proteins and genes? Well, so, you know, bears and, and humans obviously look and act and you know, are very different at, at one level. But when we actually look at the the genes that are present, the proteins that are present, and typically how these genes and proteins kind of act to do basic functions like metabolism and things like that, there's actually a really high degree of similarity. So pretty much every gene that you see in a bear has some related version in a human and vice versa. But oftentimes these genes will have experienced changes during the evolution of these different species that allow them to essentially do things slightly differently than they might in a different species. That's fascinating. I mean, I normally think of bears as being outdoor creatures, right? Where did you get all the blood samples to do this stuff? Right. So we're actually very fortunate to work with the Washington State University Bear Center, which is a one-of-a-kind facility, the only kind um, like it in the world in Pullman, Washington, that has a captive population of bears that are often bears that were getting into trouble in national parks, things like that, and had to be moved. And at this facility, we can study these bears year-round. We can take small, non-invasive, non-damaging blood samples and tissue samples and really have this unprecedented and really unique and exciting access to studying all aspects of bear biology that normally would be you know, very dangerous if you're doing this in wild bears for the researchers and for the bears potentially. Um, and oftentimes, you know, frankly, impossible. For example, it's really hard to find and get tissue samples from hibernating bears in the wild. You've got grizzlies cooperating with you? <laughs> we do, yes. So as you might expect, they're very, very food motivated. So, um, And they're also very, very smart, which is something that a lot of people don't realize. So they pick up really quick on, you know, things that we want them to do by, you know, rewarding them with treats, which in this case is actually honey. So the children's books did get that part right. They do love honey. <laughs> but for example, they'll come up to the edge of their enclosure. They'll put their paw through a little opening so that we can take a small blood sample, just a tiny little ping prick to them. And then they get a nice big dose of, of honey water, which they absolutely love. Wow. You talk here about the insulin resistance in bears and what we can learn from that. What else can bears possibly tell us about human health? Right. So pretty much any aspect, any tissue that you look at during hibernation is typically doing something that's pretty remarkable and pretty um, different than what you would expect to see in a human. So for example, they aren't sleeping the entire winter. They do lay, lay around a lot. You know, they're relatively lazy during this time, but we don't see any degradation of muscle tissue or, you know, loss of muscle tone. And in humans, for example, if someone was injured or had to be in bed for a long period of time, that's a really a very detrimental thing in that you see their, their muscle tones start to degrade. Bears don't experience any of those harmful uh, losses of muscle. So that's one aspect that we're interested. Really? Yeah, exactly. They, um, their heart rate decreases um, slightly during hibernation. So we're interested also in understanding how they're able to you know, maintain normal body functions with this decreased cardiac output. They don't urinate or defecate for the entirety of hibernation, which in humans would obviously put you in a pretty uncomfortable and pretty dangerous situation. So really, if you just look at a hibernating bear, pick a tissue, pick a part of their body, there's probably something really interesting going on there that in some way or another parallels something 
and humans typically related to, you know, a disease or some negative condition in terms of human health. Is there anything about the hibernating process itself and the changes that go on in the bear as you speak that might be applicable to hibernating people? Yeah, so that's not something that my research is specifically getting at right now, but it is something that has been discussed and thought about in in the hibernation research world. For example, there have been discussions about ways that in the future we might be able to apply our understanding of hibernation in other mammals to for example, help humans make very long space journeys and things like that where you know you might be able to essentially induce hibernation in humans so that they can go these long periods of time traveling to Mars or beyond or something like that. And, you know, obviously I think we're still a little ways away from that. Um, but there's some real, I think, interesting and exciting applications to trying to, you know, instead of look at specific aspects of hibernation and understand how we can apply that to humans, trying to essentially apply the whole thing to humans. And, you know, like you said, enable humans to hibernate in a way similar to the bears. I see that we have barely scratched the surface <laughs> of all the things to be learned. Dr. Blair Perry is a postdoc studying genomics at Washington State University based in Pullman, Washington. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.